Hey folks, it's Marvin Cash, the host of The Articulate Fly. On this episode, I'm joined by former guide and Clean the Dream co-founder, Brandon Kramer. He dropped in to share his fly fishing journey, why the dream is so special to him, and of course, details about the upcoming Clean the Dream event on August 27th. If you'll be in the Denver area, you should definitely check it out. I'll be there. All the details are in the show notes. But before we get to interview, just a couple of housekeeping items. If you like the podcast, please tell a friend and please subscribe and leave us a rating and review in the podcatcher of your choice. It really helps us out. And a shout out to this episode's sponsor. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Artisan Angler. If you're looking for a better way to organize your flies, tippet, and tools, you should check out the fly trap at artisananglerllc.com. I've dropped the link in the show notes. They sell direct through Amazon, so you get prime shipping and free returns. It doesn't get any easier than that. Make your time on the water more productive and check out the fly trap today. Now, on to our interview. Well, Kramer, welcome to the Articulate Fly. Well, tight lines and salutations, Marvin. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Long-time listener, first-time uh, participant. Yeah, there you go. Well, I'm looking forward to our conversation, and we have a tradition on the Articulate Fly. I'd like to ask all of our guests to share their earliest fishing memory. Well, that's kind of a personal question, just getting started like this, don't you think? Yeah, I ask it of everybody, and we started off off the top. Okay, all right. Well, I've thought a little bit about this, and, you know— I, I couldn't tell you exactly when my earliest fishing memory is, but um, the one that kind of sticks out in my mind um, right now, you know, because I, I happen to be in Michigan right now where, uh, where I grew up, and um, there was this little private lake in my grandparents' um, town, and I used to go and live with them for the summer sometimes, and uh, I, used, I used to love fishing, and um, that, this private lake was owned by Mr. Dankovich, and he went to my grandparents' uh, church. I'm like, oh, I want to go out there and fish. You're like, well, you got to ask them. And, you know, I was definitely single digit years. I, I don't know exactly how old I was, but uh, I'm like, well, how do I ask him? I'm like, well, he's going to be at church this Sunday. You can ask him there. And I remember being like nervous about it, but I was like, I, I wanted to fish that water so bad that I was like, oh, I'm definitely going in. And so definitely uh, approached him at church and then got the green light to, uh, to fish that water. And his grandson, Eric Johnson, actually works for Scientific Anglers today. So he's actually stayed in the interest industry as well. And um, we, I grew up fishing with him in the summertime and whatnot. And uh, now that I'm back in Michigan this weekend, I'm actually going to go back and fish with him for the first time in like 30 years. So really come full circle on that one and looking forward to it. But that's definitely one of my earliest fishing memories and uh the bass fishing in that little uh private lake was was unbelievable uh super neat and so when did you come to the dark side of fly fishing so that didn't happen until after i got out of the marine corps and i moved to colorado so that would have been uh, i think in 2003 or four i think i moved there in 2003 and then picked up a fly rod in 2004. I, I, I'm pretty sure that this is my 18th season with a fly rod in hand dedicated. Like I haven't touched my spinning rod in 18 years. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I'm like scared to touch my spinning gear because I'm afraid it's going to mess up my cast. <laughs> yeah, we can't have that. You're on one side or the other. It's, it's kind of like a hard line in the sand for me. I get a lot of friends that, you know, they go both ways. But uh, I don't know. Now that I've seen the light, it's kind of hard for me to go back. Yeah, got it. So, you know, as you made that transition when you moved to Colorado and you got out of the Marine Corps, you know, who are the, some of the folks that you met that uh, mentored you on your fly fishing journey and what did they teach you? Yeah, I, I, you know, 
Colorado is a, a good uh, melting pot for a lot of things. Um, but for fly fishing, it, it's nice just to be immersed in, in the culture. You know, if you want to go down the rabbit hole on, on an activity like fly fishing, you can you can really go pretty deep with that. So I would say Peter Byrne was one of the first people that uh, that I met um, actually out on the Dream Stream. And he uh, was a longtime fly fishing guide. He was an old, he's an old British guy and uh, he guided for many years. And I just bumped into him uh, one day and he just had an eye for spotting fish like I've never seen before. And uh, he, he, he was one of the first people that really started getting me dialed in on how to sight fish waters like uh, like the Dream Stream uh, on the South Platte in Colorado. And um, and then probably a year or two later, that's when I actually linked up with Landon. I took a guide trip with him and he um, really helped me get dialed in on the art of sight fishing. And once I saw that you could actually hunt these things and, and stalk big fish, like it was game over. I felt like it was kind of like bow hunting with a fly rod and just to be able to get in close, see the fish, watch their mouth open and close on the flies and set the hook. And after that, it was, it was game over. Like I, I could, that was all I wanted to do. So that's, I would say probably Peter Byrne and Landon Mayer were definitely the two biggest influences that really lit the fire for fly fishing. Like it was cool even before I'd met them, but they were the ones that kind of helped me see the light to see how far you could really go with it. Uh, got it. And so when did you get the guide bug? Mm, so that would have been post-college, you know, I, I felt like after I took that trip with, uh, with Landon, uh, we kind of joke around, uh, about that today because it was years later. I think I came back to him like 10 years later and I was looking for a reference to try and get in with one of the local shops. And, uh, yeah, it was probably 12 years after I took the trip with him, 10, 12 years or something like that. And so he gave me a reference to get into one of the the fly shops. And, and we joke around and say, uh, you know, like after that day, like, oh, you like this stuff? That's good. Now go practice for a decade and come back and see me and I'll have some work for you. And then after I started working for the shop, um, then then I started uh, actually guiding for, for land and mayor fly fishing. So it was kind of kind of fun to come full circle on that one as well. Yeah, absolutely. What shop did you work in? So that was a South Platte fly shop up in Woodland Park, Colorado. As, as you're going up 24, they're right on the right-hand side. And that was that was the first shop that uh, that I worked for. And I worked for them for three or four seasons. And then uh, for Land and Mayor Fly Fishing for a couple of seasons. And, uh, and then I was on to finance the next chapter of my fly fishing career because I had to get a better job so I could afford all this stuff. Yeah, there you go. So would you say Landon was kind of the primary guy that kind of mentored you on your guide journey? Yeah, and him and Peter, because Peter actually worked at the shop as well. So I did a introduction to fly fishing class with him, and um, it was it was nice to uh, to be side by side with him as as a mentor as, as well, teaching the classes. But I would say the two of them um, definitely were were major influences over uh, my angling career. Yeah, and so does anything in particular kind of jump out uh, to you that they showed you or taught you? It's really, I would say, more than anything, what what makes me effective on those waterways is is the sight fishing. Is being able to like grow a fish out of an area that you know you might have just walked over before. And both of those guys, especially Landon, have just got an eye for. Now that I've been doing this for you know eighteen years, and, and really not just doing it, but studying it, um, I feel like my skills are at the highest they've ever been. 
And still, if you go for, for a walk with him on the water, he'll be like, oh, there's one, there's one. I'm like, oh, I didn't even see that, you know, until they point their rod tip right at the tail or something. You're like, oh, I didn't even see that. So there's there's always another level to take it to. But those uh, those two both um, are still teaching me. Yeah, it's funny you say that. It makes me think about uh, like going bone fishing and you're waiting mm-hmm. and the guide says, do you see that stingray? And I'm like, I do not. <laughs> <laughs> right yes yeah, completely invisible yeah so the i the untrained eye a lot of times yeah so i then walk behind that guy the rest of the day so i don't step on one mm-hmm. yeah. uh, so uh, you know what do you think because i always like there are a couple of things i always like to ask uh guides and former guides you know what do you think's the secret to being a good guide you know, I asked me that question when I first got into guiding because, you know, I wanted I want to be good at no matter what I'm doing. And um, I don't even remember who told me this, but it said it's about creating the experience. So not only is it knowing your waterway and being able to maybe show another experienced angler um, some tricks and maybe you're not maybe they have way more experience than you do. But just being able to give them the tour of your waterway and knowing that really well, like, oh, behind this rock, there's always one sitting here if nobody's been through here before. So I think that's probably the first step. But it's also creating experience, like knowing the the history of the area. And, you know, maybe it's a terrible day and the water's been beat up and the conditions aren't right. But if you can give them maybe a little history lesson about what they're looking at or uh, something that, that had happened on that ground, I think that can be pretty special. And then the other thing I've always tried to do is just uh, along with creating that experience, you know, try to provide like a, a good lunch if there is one. I always stock the cooler with a variety of beverages, alcoholic and non-alcoholic, you know, and also um, try to get some pictures. I think, you know, if um, if there's a couple there, try and get a group picture, maybe at the beginning of the day and the end of the day, because uh, I, I think as uh other guides would agree there, there might not be a grip and grin. So at least if you can have like a nice backdrop with a, you know, um, a picture of the, t- of the two people or, or the team that uh, you're fishing with that day, I think that can be, um, you know, a nice memory for somebody to take along. Yeah. Very neat. And, you know, I also always like to ask guides and former guides to share what they think the, uh, the biggest misconception they think folks have about the life of a fishing guide. When I, I can remember when I was guiding and people were like, oh, you're a fly fishing guide. That's great. You just get paid to fish all day. I'm like, <laughs> I don't think you guys understand what a guide does. The only thing the guide does is tie knots and untie knots. And if you take pictures, if you should be so lucky, you know, so I think that's the biggest misconception is they just think that you're out in the, the water like you are uh, fishing with your buddies on a Saturday. And that is certainly not the case because it's uh it's definitely a lot of work, you know, keep it, especially as somebody that's a novice or that maybe um, is not a proficient caster trying to get them into the opportunities that you see, you know, like they might be easy for your, yourself, but um, not so much for other people. And one of the things that guiding really taught me probably more than anything else that translates into my life today would, would be the communication issue. Because uh, I found that I would be on the water talking to somebody like, all right, cast up in front of that rock. And they would be casting like to the back of it. And when I really analyzed what I was saying, like if you're not, you know, familiar with fly fishing and, you know, the fronts where the water's coming in, in my opinion, really upstream. But if, if it was a rock on the ground, you'd say the front of the rock is probably the side you're looking at. And when one of my clients told me that, I was like, oh, that does make sense. But in this world, 
that the front side is the side that's upstream, you know? And so it really made me take a step back and think about what, what am I saying? Or do I need to say the wrong thing to get the right answer or the behavior that I want? And it, it just kind of disarmed me a little bit and, and maybe take a step back and think about um, not what makes the most sense in my head, but to, to, um, to one of the clients or to a newbie. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. It makes me think about kind of what I always try to do when I get in a boat uh, to go saltwater fishing and we start talking about like, you know, you know, what do you think is 60 feet and pick a, pick one o'clock, two o'clock, 11 o'clock or whatever, so that we can kind of get that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, distance and angle uh, worked out. Absolutely. Yeah. So did Absolutely. you, so when you were guiding, did you exclusively guide in South Park or did you guide in other places in Colorado? Um, just South Park, really the South Platte River drainage was where I spent uh, most of my time. And I would say the majority of that time was spent on the dream stream section of the South Platte and then some in the Deckers uh, section. And then I did do a little bit of guiding for a short time in, uh, in the Park City, uh, Utah area as well. Yeah, got it. And I, and I know you're particularly fond of the dream stream. Can you share for our listeners that don't live or haven't been to the South Park area, you know, what makes it such a special piece of water? Sure. I, I would say, you know, the, the dream stream, you know, is, is just a section of water. And I, I can remember hearing about that. Like when I first started uh, fishing in Colorado, I'm like, I want to see this dream stream. But when you get there, it's it took me a while to warm up to it because it's in a huge open valley. There's, there's not a tree on the river. So it's just, it's, it's a met, it's in a, you know, large meadow and like aesthetically, you know, at face value for me compared to other places in Colorado, it wasn't really like that special to look at, but uh, the early sunrises and uh, sunsets um, are incredible out there. And then that waterway, you know, Everybody's like, oh, it's the dream stream. It must be great all the time. Well, sometimes that dream is a nightmare is what I'll tell you, because the best days ever with a fly rod in hand are in a dream stream. But the worst days ever with a fly rod in hand are definitely on a dream stream. There's been so many days where the wind is blowing out there and it's, you know, uh, sub-zero temperatures and you're out there trying to, uh, you know, make something happen. And it's uh, it's not always as dreamy as it's made out to be, but um definitely some of the best days I've ever had with a fly rod in hand. Uh, very neat. And, you know, you've, had, you've been lucky enough to be able to fish it over quite a few years. You know, how has it changed? I think it's, uh, I've seen it change quite a bit over the years. And and I think uh, probably the first thing that um, has made it change is, is I think uh, some of the water flows, you know, as the Denver has expanded and just the front range of Colorado in general, I think there's uh, more uh, water restrictions and um, it's hard to get the flows that would support that river the best there. Um, so that can be a little more sporadic, you know, at times or low flows in, in certain times of the year when the bugs are coming off and there should be more fish there and there's not. So I've seen some of that. And, and I think the other, um, it's not really even a problem, but, you know, Colorado it has 5.7 million people all trying to do the same thing and you you can't blame anybody for it. Everybody's there, you know, with the same, you know, kind of passions and energy to do, do the outdoor activities. Um, But because of that, uh, some of the, some of our our favorite places suffer and, and the dream team, I I definitely think is one of those. And it's just, there's just so many people that, uh, that love that area and want to go up there every year. And I forget how many visitors, 
visit the uh, 11 mile and um, Spinney Mountain Reservoir State Parks around there every year, but it's to the tune of hundreds of thousands. And um, I, I think uh, I had definitely seen the, the waterway suffer a little bit because of that. Cause I feel like back in the old days, you know, it was always popular, but um, uh, not like it is today. Uh, got it. And I know that, you know, along with Landon, you co-founded the clean, the dream event, can you tell us a little bit about the genesis of the event? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, this was something that, that spawned really when I was, uh, when I was guiding out there, uh, all the time, I, I, there was, was kind of the infancy of like what I would call the, um, the migration of, uh, you know, people coming to Colorado and, and it really watching the, the sport ramp up. And, um, through that, you know, so many people have, have just come out there. I was starting to see a lot more trash, a lot more foot traffic, you know, it's just little things like, uh, leaders blowing around in some of the parking lots and stuff like that, you know, and it's just, it's so hard to get up a lot of this micro trash and, and things of that nature. So there wasn't a, you'd see people like with a net over their shoulder, sometimes carrying out water bottles and, you know, their junk that they've, uh, found on the riverbanks, but um, there wasn't a focused cleanup that was like an annual event where every year we come together in a certain day and um, everybody in the community community kind of participates in that. And I just felt like it was needed and not really knowing how to get that going. You know, I was a guide and I was a regular out there, but I didn't have the inertia to get that started. And that was one of the reasons where uh, I, I brought Landon on board. Like he's, I call him, I call him the Sandman because he makes all your dreams come true in the dream stream. And he literally spends more days out there than in anybody else. But, uh, I, I just, with his charismatic personality and, and just his inertia with the industry, I knew if I combined forces with Landon that we could really make this a, a powerful event. And I've been thankful that, um, I didn't try and tackle it by myself because there's, there's just too much to do. And, um, you know, really when I look at it, like the success of clean the dream stream is, is really, uh, I have to attribute that to, uh, Landon mayor and all the key volunteers, um, that, that keep coming back every year. Yeah. Very neat. And can you give us a little bit more detail if someone comes out to help, you know, what exactly do they do and what does the day look like? Sure. So, uh, the day starts off at the Gagin station parking lot and, um, for anybody that uh, has been there, that's going to be like the uh, the lower lot that um, the little where the bridge is and the little oh, shack that ha- holds the gauging station. So we meet there at 8 a.m. Um, on Saturday morning. And, uh, you know, I, th- I think there's a misconception a lot of times we're like, well, I don't know if I just want to go out and, and spend my Saturday picking up trash. But it's really um, it's a big event. It's a big party for me. It's, it's a reunion of anglers that I only get to see maybe once a year. And it's the only time that I ever get to see all these people collectively. So in the morning where we're getting going, kind of doing registration and uh, getting people oriented to the area and give you a map of what area um, that we still need people to go to, you get a trash bag and uh, you get, we have free donuts and OJ and, and coffee there in the morning. And then, um, and then a raffle ticket for in the afternoon. So once we know where we're sending people out, um, we send them out and then we'll have a drop dead time of say one o'clock in the afternoon or whatever we set up that day. And then everybody stages all their trash and piles that up. And as that's coming in, people keep gathering. And then we do um, a lunch and uh, that's provided by Black Bear Diner in Colorado Springs. And they've been a major sponsor for us every year with with the food. So we're very thankful for that. So 
uh, we'll gather everybody up, do a little, um, little lunch. And then we try and mound up all the trash and then we get everybody together for a group photo. And then after that, it's, uh, just kind of relaxing, talking with folks. And then we start the raffle and, um, with all the very generous sponsorship that we've gotten over this event, I, I've been blown away with uh, how that's built over the years and uh, all the stuff that the local, not only the local shops are willing to give, but other uh, sponsors in the industry. And um, it, it really uh, just becomes a, a really fun event throughout the day. And the idea that you can go out and get, you know, a donut in the morning, a lunch, and maybe go home with a, a Yeti cooler in hand uh, for picking up some trash. And then if you want to stick around afterwards and, and fly fish, and a lot of people usually do, like that seems like a pretty good day to me. Yeah, it does sound like a pretty good day. And as you mentioned, you've been really lucky to get strong support from the angling community. Um, you know, can you share with us maybe some of the notable brands and volunteers that are associated with the event? Sure. So some of the volunteers are, are obviously um, myself, Landon, and Scott, who you uh, interviewed before, Scott's father, um, and then, uh, I'm reluctant to say the names because there's so many names that, that, that I'd be leaving out, but there, we've just get, have gotten so much positive response from the community to come out. Everybody just kind of, uh, joins with that. But some of the notable sponsors, I would say Yeti has been one of our biggest sponsors. They always, uh, send in, you know, a bunch of swag and then a bunch of coolers, um, Winston, um, uh, scientific anglers, uh, Smith sunglasses. And, um, I mean, so, so many more that, that are eluding me right now, but, uh, it, it's, it's, uh, it's been pretty impressive to see everything that, uh, shows up because it is, it's a whole truck full of stuff, um, when it's set up before we start that raffle. So people are, I feel like the, uh, the street credit is out there. You're like, Oh, you go there and pick up uh, a bag of trash and you might go home with a $900 fly rod. Yeah. Well, and I'll, uh, I'll make it easier for you too. Cause folks, if you go look and I'll drop this in the show notes at the bottom of the poster, I think there are probably 15 or 16 logos for all the sponsors for the event. Absolutely. Yeah. And Fish Pond's been a, a, a huge uh, sponsor for, for the event since the beginning as well. Yeah. And so, you know, to get to more details, you know, this year, when is the event and where can folks get more information? Yeah. So this year is going to be Saturday, August 27th. Um, at the Gaging Station parking lot at 8 a.m. And for more information, you can always go to landonmirrorflyfishing.com. Um, you can follow us at uh, Clean the Dream Stream on Instagram. And um, you can also follow me at uh, my friend Kramer on Instagram uh, or Whiskey Riffle is Scott's uh, handle on Instagram. And those are probably the, uh, the biggest um, – avenues for communication of, of what's going on on that. I would say uh, follow clean to dream stream on, on Instagram. Yeah. And I, if I remember correctly, right, folks don't need to register in advance. They can show up and they can work for an hour. They can work all day. Whatever they have to give on that day is great, right? Absolutely. Whatever capacity you have, I would just encourage uh, you to come out, see what it's all about. And it's not just uh, a fly fisherman's event. You know, we have a lot of families that come out and, um, Actually, I think one of the, the kids won the um, the rod vault, uh, the river quiver uh, last year. We're like, oh, come on. You're, you're not even going to have, a, uh, you know, a, uh, a license, a driver's license for, for 10 years. So um, that, that was pretty funny. But, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a family-oriented event. Yeah, and people don't really need to bring anything really other than bug spray and maybe a good pair of work gloves, right? 
Yeah, fair work gloves. We we usually provide um like some like medical grade gloves, you know, just for picking up uh you know nasty trash. But um a lot of times there's I, I'm dumbfounded every year. Every year I'm like, oh okay, we've gotten all the tires out of here. And every year there are more more tires uh come out of there. So you know, a, a pair of work gloves for handling barbed wire or um some of the sheet metal that gets blown around in South Park would would be advisable for sure. Yeah, uh, well, and um. Yeah, and I'll drop links to all that stuff in the show notes and kind of help remind people what they need to bring and what they don't need to bring. And, you know, Kramer, before I let you go, uh, you want to let folks know if there's anything else you have to share? Yeah, uh, so I'm actually working on another river cleanup in uh, North Idaho right now. So in Wallace, Idaho, on uh, September 10th, um, time is still be, to be determined, but I imagine we're going to settle down on an 8 or 9 o'clock start time um, at the Wallace High School in Wallace, Idaho, to clean up the um, the section of river that runs right through town there. So this will be the the first cleanup and and maybe the last. I guess just depending on how much uh, you know we can get done on that day. But um, it won't be as robust as clean the dream stream as far as sponsorships go. But this is the first year, so they always um, start out uh, a little slower and then and then build the inertia with with, uh, with time. So, um, I hope to see everybody at both of them or one of them, or, you know, if, uh, if you can't make it this year, definitely mark the calendar for it next year. And if folks want to find more information about your cleanup in Idaho, where should they look? Yeah. So that one's still under construction, but right now, um, the, the person who's putting that on told me that they just made a, uh, Facebook page that's, uh, Wallace river cleanup, and you should be able to find information there. Yeah, and I'll drop that in the show notes. And I think you mentioned, uh, you know, landamayorflyfishing.com, clean the dream on Instagram. Um, obviously, you know, your Instagram handle, uh, my friend Kramer, landamayorflyfishing on Instagram, and then Whiskey Riffle. Uh, anywhere else folks should look if they want to, keep, you know, stay up to date on clean the dream? Mm. Not that I can think of, but, uh, you know, if something uh, rings a bell later, I'll, I'll definitely give you a call to, uh, to put that in show notes as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, I'm really looking forward to meeting you uh, towards the end of the month. And um, thanks so much for spending some time with me. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Take care. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. Again, if you're going to be in the Denver area on August 27th, please plan on swinging by the Clean the Dream event. All the details are in the show notes. Tight lines, everybody. <laughs>